All right, welcome to Data Hurls. My name is Michael Burke. And I'm Chris Detzel. And today we're going to talk about data. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited about that, aren't you? Absolutely. All right, well, welcome to another podcast series episode on Data Hurdles. My name is Chris Detzel and... I'm Michael Burke. Michael, how are you today? Doing well, thanks. Special Good. guest today, Christoph Holm. Christoph, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks, Mike. Um, name's Christoph Holm. I'm the CISO uh, for a small integration platform as a service company called DataBlend. And Christoph, thank you so much for joining us on the call today. A uh, couple of quick questions to start things off. For viewers on the call that don't work in tech, what is a CISO? And what is their role? And how does that work at DataBlend? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. So CISO stands for Chief Information Security Officer. Um, it's really a role that's kind of emerged in the last 10, 10 to 15 years. Um, and really, it's it's the head of security for a company. Um, so at DataBlend, the role of CISO, uh, like all CISOs, it's pretty broad. Um, but at a high level, it's to set the security strategy um, and align that uh, with the company's business objectives to uh, to help the company meet those. Um, so at DataBlend, um, you know, as I mentioned, we're an integration platform. Uh, so our goal is really to be easy and worry-free. Um, so, you know, the CISO role really kind of comes into that worry-free piece since, um, you know, security kind of enables folks to, to have less, less worries when they're using the platform. Got it. And, you know, for me, as somebody who's been in the data space for years, the CISO is always the person that comes at me and says, hey, you didn't get access to do this, or hey, you need permission, stop what you're doing, <laughs> yeah. we need an audit, you know, whatever. Anyways, um, <laughs> I guess what, I, what I'd love to know is from your perspective, right, uh, what are some of the biggest challenges that a CISO faces while managing data and, and machine learning, right? And like, how are you dealing with these things at your organization? Yeah, it's interesting that you've had that experience. That's kind of, I'd say, ideally one of the kind of legacy interactions where the CISO historically was coming in. It was this new role where kind of the bad guys saying you can't do this mm -hmm. uh, versus saying, you know, you can do that. Let's do that in a, in a smart, risk-informed way, um, which I think ties back to your question about data. I mean, one of the biggest challenges for CISOs is really all the unknowns out there. Um, security is ever changing. There's ever more threats and risks. Um, and I think data is one of those tools we have in our tool belts to uh, help inform decisions based on what the data might be telling us. That's really cool. And how do you how do you make decisions about what is a risk? You know, using data today. You know, how do you go in? You know, in your experience in your organization, how do you dive in and try to identify risk? when you're looking across like a broad, probably for that needle in a haystack, right? Um, point that you're trying to identify. Mm -hmm. I think one of the biggest things is, is folks kind of get ahead of themselves. Um, so, you know, before you can, you know, do kind of all the, these advanced things with new technologies that might be out there, um, really you need to understand what data you have first. Um, it's really one of the most essential steps. Um, so before, you know, before I got into uh, being a CISO as a security consultant, 
Um, and it really didn't matter what company I worked with, um, any vertical you could think of, healthcare, manufacturing, insurance, whatever it might be, um, people would always skip that step, like understanding what data you have and what you're trying to protect to then inform whatever your security strategy might be. Um, so I think that's that's a huge step that's, you know, maybe intuitive, but is often overlooked. Got it. And when you're, do you have like tools that, that kind of when you're, when you're profiling this data or trying to understand more about it, are there like standards or tools that you use? You know, I know a little bit about this, for like the ISO standards, right, for having high quality data, but are there tools for like identifying threats or looking mm -hmm. at how data is being used correctly? Um, what type of data is sensitive information? Yeah, I mean, it, it really varies, right? So if it's if it's security data or security relevant uh, information, you might have a SIM system, uh, which is, uh, oh, I'm gonna kill myself on acronyms, uh, security information and event management. Uh, you guys can fact check me on that. I haven't used that. <laughs> uh, but that's a system like a Splunk, uh, where you're gonna be integrating uh, data from various subsystems. Um, that's really kind of very like security focused response uh, type data. Um, but, you know, even before you get there, it could be as simple as um, like employee data that you might want to protect, right? So like kind of more static data. Um, that's the area where, you know, you got to crawl before you can walk and run. Um, so I'd encourage, you know, folks to think think kind of slow before you, you, you want to get to some of those more advanced um, systems where you might be ingesting, you know, huge amounts of data and, and responding. Because I've seen companies just kind of skip, skip ahead and go, okay, like, we need this shiny new tool. And then you feed a bunch of junk into it. And, you know, it kind of, um, you don't, you don't end up getting what you expect out of it. Yeah. Question, real quick. Go ahead, Chris. Uh, not to change the subject, but, you know, I, I like to kind of put this in real life. So there's, I think there's two questions here. One is when you think about like customer data, employee data, I don't know, different types of data that uh, you want to kind of keep secure and not get out there. And, and people are downloading, let's, let's say, customer data all the time to like an Excel sheet or to um, uh, Google Sheets, sharing it, you know, maybe they can put it on their other system. You know what I mean? Like, how do you... So I'm, I just want real life thinking here, like as a security guy, what are you doing and how do you, do you worry about that kind of stuff? Is it, you know, especially at a small company, it seems like, you know, there's not a lot of stuff in place to really um, yeah. guide some of that. Does that make sense? No, it, it does. It's a really good question, Chris. Um, I'm a huge proponent of uh, education and kind of security mm -hmm. culture um, because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how much DLP you have, how many technical controls you put in. If you're still in that legacy space where like security is saying no, um, people are gonna find a way around it. Mm -hmm. uh, so like one thing we've built at DataBlend is a culture of compliance, right? So, um, you know, folks are actively thinking uh, before they act. Uh, so like, you know, in that example, right? So maybe you've got a use case where you need to, you know, get some data from one point to another, uh, you can pop it out of a extract it, pop it into Google Sheet, and send it right over. But um, 
you know, you don't know what the kind of security supply chain, if you will, looks like on that, right? You've now, you know, brought in Google's cloud. Is that kind of mm -hmm. your enterprise cloud or is it just a public cloud? Um, so I always encourage folks to think first. Um, and by the way, thinking doesn't always mean like having the answer, right? Thinking could be thinking to ask the question. Yeah. Um, so kind of enabling folks to have that questioning mindset and then also, um, you know, knowing who they can go to with questions, whether that's their, you know, security person or their compliance office, their privacy officer, whatever it might be, um, kind of encouraging and enabling folks to have that, I find is just as valuable, if not more valuable than, you know, a DLP system that's scanning every file that's being uh, sent from your machine. Mm. And then when you, do you deal with, that's really good. So thank you. And, and, uh, I like that kind of culture of, well, you know, let's think about what we're doing. Let's add, you know, let's ask the question. It's okay to ask, because I think that's important. Mm -hmm. um, do you deal with like deals? So like if there's opportunities, you know, I don't know if you guys use like a CRM system, like Salesforce, mm -hmm. be opportunities and to where you're looking at every opportunity there. And then you're dealing with kind of making sure the uh, customer's information is correct or that, you know, um that uh so so how do you deal with the customer side of things is kind of i guess the question there and sales opportunities yeah. and all that kind of stuff yeah i would say the the office of the CISO um gets involved mostly through building trust with customers mm -hmm. right so you know anytime we're engaging with a customer um doesn't matter if you're you're a small firm like us or you know microsoft um you need to be able to establish a level of trust that your company has a good security focused culture. Um, obviously that can include things like third party certifications, pen tests, you know, SOC 2 ISO, we've got all that. That's right. That's right. You know, everyone really needs that level. Um, but even going beyond that, just having a conversation so that they know, like, you know, we didn't go out to a paper mail and kind of, you know, rubber stamp our way through that, that we actually do live, it, live and breathe that. Okay. No, that's good. Yeah. You know, when you when you have to have these conversations with security professionals, right, especially at other companies, how do you strike that balance of like opening up and explaining to them how your system works without giving them too much information too? Because I feel like that's a, a pretty complicated balancing act, right? They wanna know how you're doing things, but sometimes that might be giving up some IP if you describe too much yeah. of what you're doing, right? Yeah, no, that's... That's really hard. Um, and going to the right level of detail where you know folks kind of get it um, versus to your point, um, excuse me, uh, giving out your IP. No, that's hard. I mean, I don't really I don't really have kind of a magic spot for that. I mean, demos demo type environments can help with that. Um, obviously, you know you're always going to establish a, a non-disclosure agreement. Um, you know, before you engage to that level. Um, but yeah, that's definitely an ongoing challenge. Got it. And, you know, in your business aligned with us, right, you're handling other customers' data, right? And you really are that connector between systems. So I know that one of the things that, you know, we and, you know, Reltio specifically, we're, we're super privacy focused, right? Like data cannot leave a customer's tenant we have to handle everything with extreme caution, right? These are huge, large enterprises. How do you do the same when you have 
tons of customers, right? On the, you know, medium and small enterprise, like it must be, there must be a lot of automation involved in that, right? And a lot of governance that has to take place on your end as well. How do you make sure that those controls are set in place? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it goes from any anything from the architecture to the training, um, right? So similarly, we've architected everything where there's segmentation between our clients' environments, uh, you know, encryption at rest, encryption in transit. Um, but then, you know, I'll go back to the the culture. Beyond all those technical controls, we have a culture where every employee um, gets regular security training. Um, you know, that's inclusive of different regulatory requirements, whether it's GDPR, HIPAA. Um, inevitably, when you're dealing with large data sets, you're gonna run into different regulations. Um, so we, we kind of treat all client data with the highest level of sensitivity, um, whether it's part of that, uh, you know, whether it's EPH, IPII, or just, you know, some generic, um, you know, financial data. We treat that all with the same level of sensitivity, uh, which is kind of our highest classification. And it, I think that's so interesting too, because like, there's, there's like all the things that you can do, right? That you're in control of, like the education and the training. But I also feel like cyber adversaries are getting so advanced too that they're coming up with new ways to target individuals like myself. Where, where training is almost difficult, right? Like I've gotten emails and text messages from our CEO being like, hey, I need your help with this, right? Yeah. And, you know, getting those kind of pieces of information, you're like, oh no, I need to respond quickly. And you get put mm -hmm. into these places where going through a training won't really get to that same emotional point of like, I need to take action, right? Yeah. How are you preparing your employees for things like that? Like these new age attacks, right? Send them fake emails and stuff. That's what they do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the, 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 the amount of smishing, you know, SMS-based phishing, um, and the sophistication is crazy. Like I've I've been running into it as well. I mean, yeah. It, I mean, it it goes back to def defense in depth, right? So you know, training is essential, but that's not the the only thing you can do. Um, Segmentation is essential, right? So our, our customer environments are fully segmented um, from our workstations, for example, our email. Um, that, that, you know, helps to prevent, you know, if you think of like a castle with many, you know, walls around it, uh, if an, an adversary was able to get through one wall, you know, they don't automatically get through the others. Um, it's kind of a simple uh, analogy. Um, and then continuing to kind of upscale and, and revisit our approach, right? Um, what worked yesterday might not work tomorrow or a year from now. Um, it's one of the things that's most interesting and also challenging about uh, cyber is that, uh, you know, you can't stay static. You always have to be moving um, and kind of staying on top of industry trends and uh, kind of revisiting your strategy. Really cool. Yeah, I know that, you know, at least traditionally in companies I've worked for, they have that same kind of analogy of like the layers of an onion, castle walls, whatever you want to, however you want to describe it, like these different barriers. Uh, I think that's, that's always been the way that I've perceived security. 
But I know that also there's been kind of these opening up of different ways of looking at uh, governance and security of like this wallless security form. And you see Google's doing some of this, Okta, some of these other companies where it's a perimeter free zone. You don't have to log into your VPN uh, to access specific data and things like that. Have you guys been exploring anything like that or kind of more of these wallless um, perimeter free? Yeah, I mean, um, not specifically at data blend. Um, I have seen, uh, like, are you getting at zero trust? Is that exactly? Yeah. 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 Um, I don't know if I would, I would say from the user experience that that's, that's perimeter free. Um, but I would argue that in every interaction, there's kind of a virtual perimeter there, right? Cause it's, it's zero trust. So, um, you know, it might be, uh, there might not be locks that you have to put a key through, um, but there are there there is engagement that's you know needed to to, to grant access. So um, no, we we I we haven't done a a ton being a smaller um, yep. start um, in moving towards zero trust. Um, but I would say um, with our with being heavy in the AWS space, uh, they definitely and and our environment's heavily architected in AWS. They definitely enable easy uh, adoption of new tech technologies like that, um, yeah. and so that's like one I would say one good example of how our environment's hardened. Right, you need to um, even if you log into AWS, um, while I wouldn't say it's like fully a zero trust architecture, um, you're not instantly granted access to anything like you might be in a legacy kind of network Active Directory where you know you go in and um, you've gotten over the castle wall and now you can kind of traverse anywhere you like. So just as a point, because I think this is kind of interesting to me, um, I used to work at a company called Forster Research and a guy by the name of John Kindervog, he came up with Zero Trust. We both lived in Dallas, sat right, oh, right cool. next to me. Uh, so I know the guy. So uh, I'll send the LinkedIn, but super cool guy. Like very Texan, loves his barbecue. It was just... So anyways, keep going. I feel like we got to bring him on the show, maybe one of the future episodes. Absolutely. We'll <laughs> yeah, see. Cool. Um, so, Christoph, you know, jumping back, I think that, you know, this whole area of, of training your employees and educating them, keeping them informed, anything else that you can, advice that you can pass along, you know, I know that you've gone through a lot of compliance certification training to any other small businesses that are looking to kind of dive into this or folks that are just interested, maybe they're thinking about getting a certification or moving into the security field. You've obviously done this for a long time. Any kind of advice that you could give them or steps in the right direction? Yeah, I mean, I think I touched on it a little bit before, um, but really any lens of your security maturity or compliance maturity is just not being afraid to ask questions. Um, no one, I think there's a, an assumption people make when you get into security and compliance that, um, you know, experienced folks may have all the answers. Um, asking questions is one of the most kind of valuable skills you can maintain kind of as you work. You guys probably run into this too in different assets of your, your career, right? So like, if you're thinking about data, like, you know, could be as simple as whose data is this? Uh, do they know what we're planning to do with it? Um, is it classified? 
Um, and classified, by the way, doesn't have to be overly complex. It just means like, is there a, a predetermined treatment we should apply to this data? Sometimes people get really scared of the, the term data classification. Um, or, you know, is it subject to any regulatory requirements? Um, you know, is there anything specific we should know about it? Um, those are specific to data, but the same could apply to really anything as you move through, you know, your career in, in cyber or compliance is, you know, keep an open mindset and, and don't be afraid to ask questions. I mean, no one has all the answers. I, I couldn't agree more with that. And I think I have it on the shelf here. Yeah, I actually purchased, I know you know this, Christoph, this Chief Information Security Manager book. Um, <laughs> definitely some of the driest content I've ever read in my life. But yeah. uh, I highly recommend, you know, if you're new to this too, getting one of these books going through it, like I, I find myself all the time flipping through it and actually pulling out a list of the questions that they recommend you ask and sending it out to my team or to somebody else when I'm working with data. And I know I joked earlier about audits and compliance, but I actually love this stuff. I think that, you know, especially when you're handling people's data, you're handling their trust, right? And at the end of the day, when something goes wrong, you have the power to make compromises and make changes. And if you don't follow best practices, knowingly or unknowingly, you're really impacting the trust of the business, right, overall. And that's that's what this is about, especially in the large enterprise space. You know, you could lose one customer and it would be a huge loss to your business, right? Uh, and even as a, you know, a SaaS-based business where you've got tens of thousands of customers or millions of customers, it's the same thing, right? People are installing their trust in you to protect their data. Um, so, you know, wrapping up, I guess, unless Chris, you have any other questions, uh, I just want to say thank you so much, Christoph, for joining the call today. This has been super helpful. Um, you know, a lot of really good content, good learnings, and love to have you on the show again sometime soon. Uh, my pleasure. It's, it's awesome that you guys put this together. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And so thanks everyone for coming to listen to Data Hurdles. I'm Chris Detzel and Michael Burke. Thank you all.